Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three of Fire Your Boss. I'm Kiko Suarez, one of your hosts, because I have my co-host with me, Jim Vitu. Jim, how are you doing? Hey, welcome, Kiko. Welcome, Bob. Super excited to be here. Fired up for this episode. Well, so we have a special episode. First, because the topic is all about finding your niche, finding the type of business you want to start. And that's always been difficult for many of us, but... Jim has a surprise guest. Um, we are we are very happy to have Bob. But Jim, it's all you now. We have to just start the episode with you and your introduction, and we're going to get to know Bob better. Yeah, well, uh, Bob is the first guest of this podcast. It's been Kiko and I the whole time, and uh, it was a specific reason why I wanted him to be the first guest is because uh, not only is he teaching entrepreneurship at Purdue, He's actually transitioned from corporate America to firing his boss and to actually starting his own company. So he's walking the walk. But more importantly than that, I don't even know how we met, Bob. I can't remember, but it's been many years. I have years. no idea. <laughs> and um, he is one of the most humble, giving guys. He's got a great spirit. The guy will open doors for many other people. He uh, doesn't ask for anything in return. He definitely is the epitome of the giver's gain. And he has been a cheerleader for me and my business. And unbeknownst to me where he's having conversations with someone that in a conversation that I didn't know what was going on, I wasn't a part of, and I'll get a call from somebody and say, hey, Bob told me we need to talk. And so in turn, I've tried to do that for him because of the reciprocity, right? When good people get served by other good people. It, it it builds up credits and you, that person's in the top of my mind. So when a conversation comes up, a potential client, a potential networking friend, a potential podcast or whatever, he's at the top of my mind because of his character, because of his um, experience, and because he is on a regular basis touching entrepreneurs in his coaching business, as well as seeing the future entrepreneurs coming out of uh, the universities in their 20s. And and uh, Bob opened a, a, a door for me to be a speaker at Purdue. And so I'd spoken at uh, several colleges over the years, but I'd never sp spoken at my alma mater. And so it was a real honor. And door, uh, Bob's the one that opened the door for that. And it was just a real treat. And I, I to be honest with you, the thing that I walked away from that is our country is in such good hands where Everybody's saying, you know, kids nowadays, if you walk onto that campus with those students that put together that event, you would be the most impressed person in America. I mean, I was so excited. I'm like, I wasn't even half as ambitious, 20% of the ambition that these kids have nowadays. And so, um, you know, I guess we'll just start off with this, Bob. Just tell us about you, man. Tell us about you. Tell us about whatever you feel comfortable with on the personal side. And then tell us kind of how you got your journey towards, you know, entrepreneurship and, and, and when you fired your boss. Oh man, how much time do we have? I'm kidding. Um, uh, I'll start this way. I, I was born a poor, humble son of a preacher. How about that? Um, modest means uh, growing up college was some far off spaceship uh, type of concept um, and ended up, uh, I, I tell the story that I graduated from high school on a Sunday. Uh, my parents packed up and moved to Oklahoma on a Monday, and I stayed behind for the summer. 
and uh, lived with an older couple uh, for actually two summers. But uh, that was my start of the first one to go to and finish and graduate from a secular college. So dad, dad graduated from Ozark Bible College, obviously from a seminary standpoint, but um, it was just one of those moments where uh, taking a risk as a 17-year-old, so I was a young graduate uh, type of thing. And I joked that, you know, Purdue to me was like the moon, right? It's just, just total right. foreign, foreign entity. What is this thing? Uh, it sure. was so big. Um, and short story of all that literally flunk, you know, it was about to flunk out. Um, and I remember walking through campus, opening a letter in an envelope that, you know, now they would send by email, but, um, and it basically said, uh, if you don't shape up this semester, you're going to be going home. And wow. to me, that was not a very good option and, uh, really put the fear of God in me. I'll call it change majors had to, um, if everybody remembers Kim 116, that didn't go well, but, right. um, but that started this whole process of deconstructing what many people had suggested I go do, which was be a civil engineer. Always graduated from New Palestine high school. Um, on the southeast side of Indy, either went to Ball State for architecture or engineering school. And to then have that kind of crushed right in front of you uh, with the fear of having to return home, which that was in Oklahoma and that didn't sound good um, at the time. Um, ended up changing majors twice, ended up in mechanical engineering technology, uh, make story short, but um, co-opted at that, that time and this was 88, 89 at the Allison Engine Company, which was part of General Motors at the time. Um, hired on full-time and kind of rode the wave of a couple of things. One, the regional jet explosion at the time. Uh, if you remember flying mm -hmm. anywhere in the 90s, you were on a three- or four-seat regional jet. Right. And um, I got the privilege of riding that wave um, as that market just blew up. And... Um, as you can imagine, during that time, a couple of things happened. One, I started off working for General Motors, and uh, by 93, we're sold off to private equity, which was mm. a whole new concept. Scary, terrifying, right? Um, and then two years later, Rolls-Royce came in and bought us up at 95, and that uh, started a 15-year journey from there up until 2008, which was the first time I decided to fire my boss. Um Nice. So a couple of different things since then, but the bottom line is uh, since 2008, I've uh, still worked in a couple of different corporate gigs that reminded me why I didn't like corporate gigs. Uh, we won't go into all that detail, but um, been consulting and coaching now since 2017. So, Yeah, that's amazing. And so tell us about your existing business that you have now, because uh, I know you help a lot of small business owners and, and from a coaching standpoint, but also just troubleshooting and whatever it is that's in their way. Yeah, I was sitting there actually looking at my logo sheet a little bit of history over the last five years. Um, small and medium sized, typically privately owned. Um, I am a business coach, which a lot of people have misnomers of what that is. Um, um, you know, I've, I've done consulting and some of us blend a little bit of consulting coaching together every so often. If you're a purist coach, you would never consult. If you're a pure consultant, you'd never coach. Um, 
but I, I do blend the some together. And I, I joke that I'm a business coach, but I don't mind getting my hands dirty. Um, a lot of business owners, entrepreneurs, uh, even nonprofits for that matter, um, sometimes just need a push and support in different ways. Uh, everyone's different. And so I don't mind rolling my sleeves up and making that happen. But um, I tell you, you know, from solos, uh, solopreneurs all the way up to four employees is probably the max uh, client count or employee count of my clients. Um, sweet spots between 10 and 50 employees, nice. I find. And I joke that, uh, you know this, that I call it, it's a kitchen counter kitchen table team right they they mm. start there and then as soon as they grow and go beyond uh the kitchen table or the conference table as soon as there's that second layer things get really complicated you know people growth creates exponential problems and so whether that's people systems process customers etc that's where i like playing i like playing right. in that awkward adolescent zone that's amazing and so you also teach uh, at Purdue. So share with us some of the, some of the classes and students you teach at Purdue. Yeah, it's called the Certificate of Entrepreneurship Program. I think it's in the top 20 in the U.S. now. Um, and uh, it's a series of courses. One is Intro to Entrepreneurship, uh, which is literally just what is it? What does it mean? What's it like? What's, mm-hmm. What are the definitions? What are the words? Uh, a lot of guest speakers in that course. And then when they get to my second level class, it is really about business plan development, in essence, a pitch pack. Um, It is the first kind of foray for someone that typically, by the way, is not a business manager. So any major at Purdue can take the class um, and take it as an elective. So I've got biology students, construction, engineering, Mm. tech, you name it. And so they all come in with obviously some interest in small business entrepreneurship, those kind of things. And so literally from the start of the class, they develop an idea and take that idea all the way to pitch. Um, eight minute, eight to 10 minute pitch at the end to an imaginary set of investors. And they practice that and get it kind of honed. Um, nice. And it's really fun to watch the development of totally terrified, scared to death, don't know what we're doing to actually a pitch that actually not too bad right yeah and so it's not meant for them to go out into the big world yet uh once they pass my class they can take a couple of capstone classes that really go deep right right and a a couple of our instructors in that space are just awesome so well knowing that you're you're kind of booking and you you're seeing entrepreneurs and coaching them that are actually running a business running into brick walls and coaching them through there and then you see the bright-eyed bushy-tail folks that maybe potentially possibly might want to be in business in the future. That's pretty interesting. So what do you see about the mindset or the viewpoint, not from the generation that the three of us share, but from those folks that are in their early twenties now, what is the difference that you see and what do you, what do you see in their mindset when it, when they look out into the world, when the business world and potentially entrepreneurship? Great question. There's a couple of things that pop into my head. Um, one is, you know, like we were naive, right? Just pure, but good naivety, right? And you know this, there's nothing better than sometimes not knowing what you don't need to know, right? Right. Um, and so that part, and to your point in the leadership conference you participated in, 
just the energy. Um, you know, we forget what it was like when we were 20, right. To be frank. Right. So seeing that happen, um, and then watching them develop that over even a course of 16 weeks. Right. And I even teach a summer class that is basically five weeks and even watching them over five weeks is really impressive. Um, but I joke that it's it's like two sides of the coin, right? And I tell them this. I bring in people that like us and others that have been there, done that for, you know, 20 plus years. And the scars and the pain and the experiences and the lessons that they did not have and I didn't. And I don't think you did either. The opportunity to sit in a classroom and fail, right? And, and truly take a business. And it just, it's a total disaster, but to learn from it. And it costs you nothing other than your tuition. Versus being out in the real world when we do that and, you know, we lose our house, right? So, um, so I get to see both sides of the coin, but to your point, um, it does reassure you that there is hope, right? <laughs> they, they have, um, you know, they still have things to learn and that's what we want the program to be. We want them to see reality and truly know what they're getting into and not be ignorant of those realities and how it affects them and help them navigate through that to be honestly avoid the painful mistakes that we've all made. So, Amen to that. What are your thoughts on that, Kiko? Yeah, well, I'm very curious because uh, as, as Jim was saying and you, Bob, confront the these moments of, okay, I'm a biologist and I want to start a business, right? <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that you have a lot of questions for them as well as they have questions for you. What kind of questions do you get from someone that comes from a field that where they don't learn entrepreneurship? But that's what they feel they have to do, right? So they have to start a company. Where do they start and what kind of questions do you get in that first week or first, you know, month? Well, we don't get a lot of questions up front. That takes a little bit of time, right? But what we do do is start planning the idea, even ideation. So literally, okay, I'm a biologist, I'm a scientist, I'm a, you know, whatever. Um the question becomes is what do you want to do with it and how do you want to sell that to the market? And you know this, right? There's a hundred business models. There's different ways to do it. You could be extremely niche, like we were talking about today. You could be a little more broad. You can apply it across industries. And so we do call a little bit of market mapping, right? Of just, and there's no definition for what those segments are, right? They get to, you get to decide those things. And probably of all the things we teach them up front is there are no rules, right? Everybody tells you there's rules. There's no rules, right? If, if you can create your own niche and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this in a minute that nobody else has defined. Nothing wrong with that. Right. I mean, it's got some pluses and minuses, but oh, you know, um, I mean, I wasn't even asking, and, I wasn't even thinking about asking questions like that when I was in college. Correct. Right? That's correct. Just amazing that that platform yep. exists and somebody, you know, yep. there's professors teaching those things. It's so encouraging to me. Yeah. I mean, and obviously, they, yeah, I mean, and obviously they do come with a lens of what I'll call the past, their lifespans, right? That we, we literally talked about generations last week, the different generations and their generation, you know, digital natives, they've known nothing but this platform. They've known nothing but phones and iPads, web services, software as a service. You know, I joke, this morning, or literally today, I said, how many of you ever bought Microsoft in a box? 
and they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> they just never have, right? Um, and so they come with that as their background. So they have almost zero history in terms of business and how it worked and how it's evolved and those kind of things, which can still. So, but, but these guys never had to really fire their boss. And, and, and a lot of our, our listeners probably are thinking, okay, well, I'm done with my corporate career. So let's go to the other side of the spectrum and think about people that are, okay, they have experience, they have jobs, they've been in corporate America, whatever they have been, but they're kind of really thinking, all right, I'm marinating, I may want to start a business. So if you could get that person now, if they don't have the questions, because probably they don't have them, <laughs> what would you ask them? Uh, why on earth do they want to leave their job? That's I mean, a good question. Really get to the, really get to the core. Why? Why? Right. And we'll, even on the business side, we uh, we want to know what, why you're doing what you're doing. Right. And we may talk about icky guy here in a second because I've got that prepped up. But um, but it's the same thing as what what is it about your job that you know why is it that you think right now is the time? Right. And we've been through it, so we, we kind of know that process a little bit. But they don't. And typically, you know, they hate their boss. They hate the politics. They hate, you know, a thousand things. Okay. <laughs> um, and I think, Jim, uh, you referred to it as uh, zero. Yeah. What's your right. zero? If I right. remember right. What's your zero? Right. So what are, and I hate to say it, Sean Connery, you know, the real question is what are you prepared to do? Mm. And what are you prepared to put at risk? And I've, I've had many of these conversations with corporate people just like I was. Um, and just said, you know, are you prepared to do the following things? And eight out of 10, walk away, a little bit of shoulder slumped, right, yeah. type of thing. And uh, no, not really, right? Are you prepared to go home and tell your wife you have to sell the house and sell your, both of your SUVs to make sure that you can make it? And the kids may not go to private college for four years. Ouch, right? right? Whatever. I mean, just yeah. yes. Um had a uh, COO of a local uh, hospital chain, uh, fairly big names, et cetera. I won't share, but that's the conversation you had, right? And it's a lifestyle question. And if you are not prepared to deal with that reality, then we need to spend a little more time before you hit that quit button. Um, and so, but it, it really is, it's really understanding what they want to achieve. And just like a business or anything else, what do you want in the end? What do you want? You know, when you're 60, what do you want when you're 65? Right. And can we get you there? You know, maybe. Um, it just depends on what. Yeah, when you said 80 or 80% 80 walk away, I just, you just described again the thing that we refer to, which is the 80 20 rule, right? 20% are prepared to pay the price at any given moment. And uh, the 20% of the 20% is the is 5%, plus or minus. Don't, don't math check that. But, uh, and that's where the most of the goodies in the world go to, you know? So I recognized that early on that I wanted to be a 20 percenter. I wasn't because nobody ever told me that there was such a thing. I'm, I'm super competitive. I try to win at every level. But as I mentioned before, I think when we looked at our finances growing up in a lower middle class household, my wife and I were doing pretty well. We had the things and a few shiny things, not all the shiny things we wanted, but we were like 
the healthiest patients in the hospital because we still had a bunch of debt. We still had mortgages. We had two car payments. We had a student loan that we inherited. Um, and so when, yeah, when the rubber meets the road to, are you willing, what are you willing? Now you're willing to give up 70 grand to go into business, but your bills don't stop. So we have, in the past episodes, we've talked about your zero and figuring out what that number really is. And I had some locker room conversations with my mentors in the business and they said, Hey, I mean, this is, that's just what it's going to take. Are you guys willing to do it? And of course, even if I didn't want to, my pride would never say no. I'd be like, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'll live on a, I'll live in a washing machine box if I got to win. Well, that's great. Awesome. Woohoo. Yay. Uh, you're married now. <laughs> so there's a human being that is you're responsible for that you need to take their feelings, their sentiment, their comfort zone into consideration as well. And I'm just Correct. super thankful question. that at some point is, my wife you, was all in, you know? Have you actually asked your other half? Right. And they're like, no. Well, come back after you have, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you get that far, then we'll keep going, right? But yeah, mm. until you have, because I remember that process, right? Oof. You know, I literally remember what I was doing, where she was standing, all this, right? Just, that was tough. Yeah. Yeah. And so you say you overcome that moment, say you get ready to to do this with all the advice that Jim gave them last week about having the cushion and having a good calculation. And um, But I think probably another question that comes to mind is what do I do? I mean, you know, we just had this conversation sometimes off the record saying, do I start a franchise? Yes or no. Do I start this other business? Yes or no. I don't know. what. So when people come to you with that question, what do I do? Is there any natural logical point to start um, for someone with a given background or someone with some ideas? What What do you say? Well, I, I, I do. I start with concept of Ikigai, right? It's a Japanese concept little bit, you know, morphed from a business perspective. I think it was Jack Welch from GE and his wife that came up with the business, right? But I, I like starting there, which is, you know, what do you love to do? Just every day you get up, what would you love to do? Um, you know, then the question is, are you actually good at it? And this is, you know, first test, right? It's like, oh, I love doing this. Okay. Are you actually good at it? So I could love playing the drums, right? Or Jim, you play the guitar, right? I might love it, but am I really good at it, right? Uh, maybe not so much, right? Good enough to make Maybe I'm enough, it. right? Okay. Yeah. But maybe I've got two out of three. That's what we call the passion, right? It's, it's you know, this is um, artists, right? They got the passion. I'm really good at art, you know, that kind of thing. Fantastic, right? Uh, now the question is, can you actually be paid for it? And this is a this is a big one for a lot of people is they just assume someone will pay them and they've never tested at all, right? Self, right? Self. Um, you just assume, especially coming out of a corporate job, that someone's going to pay you to do something because typically, unless you're on the sales side of the corporate side, the work just shows up. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you kind of go in with that mindset. Well, people will just show up. I'll hang my shingle, whatever. doesn't matter what the business is, et cetera. They'll just be here it doesn't work that way right and so go t 
talk to people, ask them, you know, if I did this, whatever this is, what is it worth? You know, would you pay for it? You know, and we talk about even in an entrepreneurship program, don't ask people that are your friends if they would pay for it because, oh, yeah, sure we would, right? That's total BS, right? Find a stranger, ask them, you know, would you pay $2,000 a month for me to show up for 10 minutes? Right? Mm. Probably not, right? I mean, so you got to do a little bit of market test. Um, and then, as you guys know, in the end, there still has to be a market need. Number one failure of business, you know, number one reason is there actually isn't a paying customer. There's no market. And it's brutal. This is, I've seen this so many times with corporate people that have left the corporate world. And I'll pick a very big pharmaceutical company here in Indianapolis as an example. I've, I have friends that have worked there. I've had friends that still work there. But they come out and they just assume someone's going to buy their expertise. And it's so wrong. doesn't matter how smart you are. right? It might at the right time. But they just make the assumption that there's a demand. And you have to test that demand. And right. is it really there? And, you know, we get into things like competitive landscape and a bunch of other stuff. But the bottom line is, is there really a demand for, I don't know, pharmaceutical, nucleo, blah, 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 whatever. Right. If there is and you can prove it to me, fine. But is there, you know, um, outside? Well, I think, I think we get, space? I mean, whether it be five years or 10 years or 20 years working for a company where you just show up. Right. And like you said, you process the work. I don't even know that we don't even really think about where the work comes from. Right. And then you get paid in a direct deposit every two weeks. And how many years does that need to happen before you, I mean, kind of like our cat, we're worried about letting our cat out of the back porch. We have a screened in porch because it's like, does she even know how to defend herself? She hasn't been out in the wild in a long time. So it's, I think sometimes we forget how to hunt and kill it and bring it back to the cave. And then we get excited about the business world and then step out. And, you know, the statistics about business success are there for a reason. And it's not because Just of, there. And they haven't changed in 50 years. Right. It's not because of enthusiasm or intelligence or IQ or any of that stuff. It's some of the things you're talking about and just, you know, getting out there and finding out is it, is it real? Yes. And, uh, you know, and I've sat with, you know, people that have gone and launched a business and a year later, they're extremely frustrated. You know, number one challenge typically for a specialist, let's just say, you know, scientist, engineer, whatever, any specialist is sales. They don't know how to sell. And I didn't either. I'm not, I'm still learning. Right. I mean, it's, it's a work in progress, right? It just is, but um, that it is, you know, you have to spend half your time selling. Well, that means you only have half your time left doing. And then you got to do it really well. And then you got, you know, maybe you have five customers, right? So now you're down to two weeks a month. That's all you, you know, now you got five customers. You know, how are you going to serve five customers in two weeks? And those kind of things, just some really, you know, we'll get into basic business engine, I'm sure. But um, some of those realities really hit home with them. And it, because they've just never had to think of it, they've never had to think of the whole ecosystem. Right. And, and do you see a difference between? So you mentioned that you have had the whole range of uh, clients from solopreneurs to fifty employee type of thing. What is the difference between those that cross that line of solopreneur 
to having two employees to having five employees? Is there anything that is distinctive about them that you could say in hindsight, this is what's different about these people or the way they think? For me, only because this is how I define my ideal client is humble and hungry. Right? They literally are humble enough to know uh, this isn't all about me. Um, and that typically, you know, just as we've discussed and Jim and I have discussed this a lot together, is if you think you can just do all this by yourself, by Herculean effort, good luck. Right? So, um, not that it can't be done. But when you're burning yourself up or have a heart attack or a stroke or something at some point. So you kind of start with that, which then leads into the ability to let go, the ability to delegate and let other people do things. You know, I would tell you, and you know this as well, probably that eight to nine out of 10 times, the constriction of a business and its growth is typically because of the owner and their unwillingness to let go of control and that nobody can do it my way. All the all the things, right? So, um, and so they become the choke point, but they don't know they are. Um, and so that's, you know, that's, that's number one. Um, and then two hungry, they, they do. I, I mean, I would tell you the ones that I'm sitting here looking at my list right now, um, they're hungry enough, but not, not in a, not in a negative way, right? But they, they little, they're readers, they're consumers, they're sponges, um, they will take and read a half a book and maybe they never finished, but they've taken three things out of that and then put it to use. Um, and I've had just a wonderful luxury of having several that they consume more than I do. Right. I'm, I think I'm a pretty good consumer of stuff. Um, but the ones that really move through that are the ones that just continually say, okay, wherever I'm at, it's great making a profit. I got a team of 20, but I want 25 or 50. And how do I get there? How do I get there? Who do I need to talk to? Who do I need to learn from? That's, I would tell you, that's the thread I see. Yeah. I had a mentor one time that says, man, if you get a go-getter, if you get that A-type personality that's super hungry and just will do whatever it takes to win, as long as they have a good moral compass, now you got your hands on something. <laughs> you don't want them to do anything to win but anything legal moral and ethical right sure and we all know the the ones that fit the other genre right and typically i mean sometimes they make it i'll call it but um they usually don't have a great reputation that eventually catches up to them you see their name in the paper later you know you know big current one at the moment is mr WeWork, right mr newman is an example you know what a disaster. What a disaster. But, yeah. Now, let, let me ask you another question that I'm very curious about. So I think, unless I'm totally wrong, but I think the three of us are more in the services area. But, but I'm sure that you've seen products and services, and I've always heard from people that if you really want to be successful, you have to be a maker. You have to do something uh, per, that that you make that is unique. So, what is your take on that? I mean, making versus not uh, depends on your definition of success. Pro production. So, tell tell me more about that. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, in some ways, it does define. You know, it depends on what success looks like. Um, sure. I mean, I, I had this conversation. I think he'd be okay with me 
talking about is a guy named Matt Baker. He used to own Eagle Automotive in Zionsville. He was a client for many years. Um, and he and I had these philosophical conversations a lot, right? So here he's making money off of repairing a vehicle. And to your point, he said, Bob, you know, I make money off of having something move through my shop. It has value. It has parts. It has labor. You know, there's things you have to do to that thing. And that's how he makes his money. And that's a, it's a business model on an engine. He said, however, Bob, you get paid out of vapor. And the fact that you can generate a living from literally nothing, right? And I sit there and thought, was that an insult? I don't know. But I mean, it was, <laughs> but it was true, right? I think so, it was a compliment. Um, I think it was, yeah. I, you know, I think I learned that later. But, um, and he and I still talk all the time. But, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a, uh, I mean, it's a, it's the same thing. It depends. I mean, do I want to run a, you know, 500 person manufacturing widget business? Not really. Right. I, I really don't. Um, would it make it in theory easier from a, call it worldly success definition and pure, you know, multi-million? Sure it would, because you're producing something that has intrinsic value to itself. The challenge with that, as you know this, right, it takes a whole ton of capital to do that, right? It really does. Um, And so if you're not in the business of really desiring to have that capital load, then may not be the best answer and may not be the same thing as success. so I think it just depends on what you want out of your life. And some people will have that desire and have the skill and the things that go with it and fantastic. But, but I mean, think about any, any product that has especially high value. You know, I came from the aerospace world, talk about a high value product, right? And so, you know, if I got this, if I sold an engine as an example and made commission, it's a little quote unquote easier to produce a very large income, but you only get to sell so many of those in your lifetime. And what do you got to do to get there? Right. So, um, it just, I think it depends, but yes, I mean, it is, if something is the vehicle, if we call it that has value that you're passing through and, you know, use financial managers, you know, as an example, they're taking some percentage of a big chunk of money. doesn't mean they're good at it is another issue but Jim you know in Jim's case he is so but I mean it's a matter of that flow is already happening and so you're tapping into that flow so um, but if you don't get if you don't get up in the morning and love working for your thousand person manufacturing business it goes back to your guy purpose thing right that that in the end if, if you don't wake up in the morning happy about what you do then you know, who cares if it's scalable or not. Um, That's right. And I, I mean, I tell people too, that like, even if you want to have a business, being an entrepreneur there, I mean, it's the year 2023, almost 2024. You can have a business and be an entrepreneur and keep your job. That That is an option nowadays, right? I mean, we talk about firing your boss, but if there's something that you're super passionate about that you can generate income that gives you get you alive and get you out of bed, you know, it's just a matter of time. Maybe that never comes to fruition for you to fire your boss. But if you find that niche and there's, you can make money doing it and you could be excited about it. It's just a matter of time. I believe, I mean, that's what happened to me. So I just, 
that's how I think about it. Cause I'm not really, I mean, I, I didn't know where to raise capital. I, I remember, I remember the thought of business being in my mind in college. I got out of the military, went to college and I, right as I was getting in the military, I went to visit my aunt and uncle in uh, Las Vegas and he was the most successful person in my family. They had the nice car. They lived in Orange County, California, and then they eventually moved to uh, Las Vegas, huge house, always seemed excited, fired up, but I was a little kid, so I didn't know what he did. And so finally I was an adult and he just had, seemed to have an amazing life, you know, and he'd always come to the family reunions and, you know, give me a buck under the table to go get him a beer or whatever. I'm like, I just wanted to be like uncle Mike, you know? And I said, uh, what do you, what do you do? He said, I sell insurance. Really? I'm like, I want to do that. I want to do that. I didn't even know what that was, what that meant, but I'm like, I just, I don't want to be like everybody else on the other side. I want to be like uncle Mike. And they sent me a, uh, they, he said, okay, I'll send you a, uh, it's like a test. I said, oh, okay, great. So I get the test in the mail at Purdue. I fill it out, you know, and I don't remember it's, it was, some of it was psychological. Some of it, I'm sure it was, I don't know about sales skills. I have really no recollection of the test other than one of the last question was how many people do you know that make six figures? I had two. I had my dad's best friend, Bill, and I had uncle Mike <laughs> and I put that down. It was naive. I don't know. I <laughs> like, I, I know a couple and then I never heard back. Right. So I call uncle Mike. What, what happened to the test, man? I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm ready to live in a mansion, dude. And, uh, he said, yeah, I talked to the guys. They said, yeah, you just don't qualify. Now, years and years later, I just stumble into the financial industry. And now I know what that was. Basically, they wanted me to know a bunch of rich people and have access to those people in my Rolodex so I could go sell stuff. Right. So there are some industries, right, where you can't go there because you don't have a Rolodex that will help you raise $50 million to start a you know, electric vehicle battery manufacturing or whatever. Right. So sometimes you just have to stay in your lane. And if you do well in your lane, then you can expand and grow and and find other opportunities. Right. Now that brings an interesting uh, point, Jim, which is, and this one, obviously, Bob, you probably have seen this uh, also. Does having a name or some sort of a pedigree mean anything uh, obviously, the networking aspect of it is important. If you if you have a family name and you have millions of dollars, but let's let's set that aside, right? We we are not coming from that point of view. Um, do you have to have some reputation established, some sort of personal brand established first, or you think that you can start a business being a totally unknown person and then start from there and and going uh, and, and scaling? Great question. Um, I would tell you, based on what I've seen, starting a business is hard enough on its own. And if nobody knows who you are, it's that much harder. It doesn't matter, right? Even I'm sitting here thinking of just local businesses around me in a five-mile radius, right? If they don't know who you are, the question is, how do you fill that gap, right? So um, that could be through, you know, 
traditional marketing. It could be word of mouth. It could be all kinds of things, right? But if they, if you have no reputation and you just plunk yourself down in Midtown Carmel, right? I'm going to be a ice cream store. I don't know. Take your pick. You better have one whopper of a product, right? And if you don't, tough slog, right? I mean, because the reputation, the pre-reputation opens doors, opens opportunities, opens relationships, all those kind of things. And if you don't have that, I'm not saying you can't make it, but don't assume again that somebody's just going to show up because you put a sign out, right? Whatever. Um, and so that personal brand, even at, you know whether it's personal, corporate, or otherwise, um, that brand. If nobody knows, and we, we talk about this in the entrepreneurship program, nobody knows who you are. If you created a logo today and put it out, right, and you start marketing, they don't know who you are. Now, if they know you from a past life, which is how, you know, in some ways I got started, right? I left the corporate world and my first set of clients came from the network that I had established over 20 years. And that got me the start. Okay, right. If I didn't have that network or kind of jump into what I started to do after I left, which is more consulting um, than anything, would I have been able to generate revenue that fast? Probably not. So, correct. Somebody thought my opinion was worth something at the right. I mean. But if, if, I mean, this is where I, I joke and that I tell people, again, leaving the corporate world, they've got their logo, right, on their chest or on their shirt. Uh, and that's great when you're in, you know, I, I'll be, I work for Rolls Royce, right? I work for one of the best known brands in the globe, probably for the wrong thing. It's not the car company, by the way, right? But it, I mean, you walked in and people go, oh, I'm sorry, who, you know? That opens a lot of doors. And the moment you leave and that logo is off your shirt, now that's the test. Can you walk in somewhere where it's you, Bob, right, or Jim, and that logo is Bob Incorporated? Trust me, it's a different reaction, right? So that that was a brutal learning um, very early on. Um and you just, you know, the people that say they were your friends and they were your network, et cetera, that gets stripped away pretty quick based upon where you are, right? And what influence you can exert and those kind of things. When you don't have that anymore, you can phone call all you want. They don't answer the phone, right? So um, you do find out who your friends are. I'll call it kind of a little bit of that. But, I mean, so that is, that that personal brand is worth a lot in the marketplace and then if you truly go start something where it's totally out of character you know i go start a bowling alley after working at roche or whatever right okay (laughs) you better have a really good product that delivers pretty quick otherwise you know google google reviews will kill you in a matter of you know days so um so yeah there there is a tie there i do believe so yeah, and it, because the the other thing that, that that makes you think is now we are at a time where and and all these new generations are teaching us every day, right? I, I also teach classes in business, and I see business plans that have no numbers, and I always go back to the student and say, you know, you got, you got to have a few numbers in there, right? 
But what's fascinating is on the on the flip side of that, they are all these plans to humidify new generations have a huge heavy component of social media and the engine, right? So that's what they understand. But on the on the other side, I have uh, people my age that don't know how to do it. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, now we have to learn how to do this, right? Jim and I have been talking about this too. It is interesting that the time is right to build a brand, but we have to learn how to do it. And, you know, I was wondering, Bob, if you have given any advice to people that when they come to you and they say, I want to start a business. And you ask them the first two questions, right? You, did you, did you talk to your partner? Um, you know, all these things. Are you ready? But while you're ready or not, why don't you start building a name? Right. I mean, is that is that out of the question? Oh, I, no, absolutely not. In fact, what I'll tell them is go ask people what they think of you. I mean, how would you, you describe are not in the, when you're not in the room? Right. That's the that's the old, correct. The old or even if you are people. in the room, right? I mean, <laughs> if, if whoever your networking circle is, you know, and this is where you don't want it to be totally biased, right? But you know, if there's somebody even that's one step removed from you, right? That you know who they are, they kind of know who you are, but they don't know what you do. But literally, go sit and have a cup of coffee, of course, with them, and just say, when you think of me, what do you think? You know, and you would be shocked with the answers, right? It's like, well, I think you do this. No, that's not what I, I haven't done that ever, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's really insightful. So you really want to, you know, understand what people think um, about who you are, what you do, what words come to mind. You know, Jim gave some really gracious, you know, like intro, by the way, thank you very much. But I mean, but you want to know that, right? You want to know what people think of you because it's, that's what people think of you, right? That's the market. The market's telling you that. So you better know what it is. Um, if you've earned a and, reputation. And if at all possible, yeah. you got to go in and try not to be offended because if you want to know the answer, if you want to test Correct. it, it may be a little Correct. painful to your ego. Yeah. But the person's, and, and, me- and the person's you- meeting with you and they're in your life, it's they don't, you know, that's just... If you want the truth, you got to be ready for the truth, right? And we won't yes. even go with the cliche, right? Because they're on the Screen Actors Guild, uh, you know, the ticket line. <laughs> so we can't name the name, right? But, uh, you know, you all know the quote, right? Can you handle it? And, uh, yes. it, and if you it? can't, then could be a sign you're not ready. Correct. And this, and I will tell you from a corporate, you know, refugee standpoint, and I think you use that term, Jim, as well, right? Uh, the one thing they can't understand and the criticism they will get when they go enter a market that is outside their normal market. So I came from Rolls Royce. Um, I came into the small business world. You're a big business guy. Mm. You don't know what I do. You don't know what I go through. You're living over there in the corner office of a high rise. Right. And it's, some of it's true. It's like, uh, luckily for me, I had enough experiences that were not that and we're down at the working level getting hands dirty and all kinds of things that I can break through some of those barriers. Um, but initially there were many people that said, now nah, you came from such a big company. You can't even appreciate what I do as a 20 person business. So have a nice day. Mm. So, I mean, that's brutal, right? It, it you know, Oh, I was, he was going to be a client. You know? I have a question, Bob. So when you went into business, obviously, 
you know, I think when, when we first, even before we got started, you said you have a potential new client lined up and we'll see, which I know what that means is we've all had already like cash the check and waiting for it. And then like something happens, right? So when you <laughs> were brand new, one of the things that I feared most because nobody ever taught me, nobody ever conditioned me to it. I feared the word no so much. I mean, I was not a salesperson. I was not conditioned to that. I, it was, and I don't even looking back, it was just ridiculous. I think it was, it was like a ghost. It wasn't real, but I was afraid of it kind of thing. And what was your mind? Like how many no's did you, did you have a mindset coming in? I know I got to take no's or was it just like the first one hit you and you're like, uh-huh. I mean, what was your mindset and how would you guide somebody that, you know, even obviously your current business owners, I'm sure at some point you had to coach them to, you have to go out and sell. You have to go out and maybe take some no's to get this business rocking. So what was your mindset coming into business from the no's perspective? And how do you coach people out of that if they, if they are fearful of that? Uh, another great question. I would, uh, I mean, one, totally clueless coming in, right? I mean, I jumped into something. I had no idea what it was really doing. And I'll be honest, I, probably even hurt people along the way, right? I mean, it was that bad. So, um, however, um, the no part is really hard, especially based on your personality. You know, if you ever done a disc, I'm a CS, right? I cry at movies, right? I, it's, I cry at church, right? I mean, I, I'm an emotional person. And criticism is personal. Some people do not take criticism personally, right? I take criticism, even constructive, very personal. Just do. I've learned not to, right? It takes some time. Um, and so if you're one of those people, and I would tell you most specialists probably fit in that category. They're so good at their thing, right? They, they know their gizmo. They know their formula. They know how to titrate, right? <laughs> whatever it is, right? And the moment somebody tells them that that doesn't have enough value, for them to pay money for something, right? Yes. So um, what I tell them now is if you can't handle nine no's in a row, right, do something else. That is just a brutal, you know, sales math is sales math. We go through it in the entrepreneurship program. I do it with my clients. It doesn't matter. I think Jim and I, even I remember sitting at Panera with you, right? And it's like, are you prepared to meet a hundred people a month? Right. I'm like, what? A hundred people a month. Um, I'm an introvert. I can't do that. Correct. Correct. (laughs) And I still am. You, and last podcast I listened, you said you're a recovering introvert. I'm I'm in recovery. Um, But I mean, I gotta, you know, I gotta go to meetings all the time. That's why I meet with Kiko. Correct. And it's a matter. (laughs) Yes. He's my sponsor. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. In your mind, see? Um, and I do the same thing. And, I, and actually, you know, this is one of the fun parts of what I get to do. I would tell you mm. nine out of ten of my clients are introverted, severely. Mm. So I know what it's like. I know what it feels like. I know that, you know, the gut, you know, all the gut stuff, the your mind, the little guy on your shoulder talking to you in your ear, you know, telling you you're stupid and it's imposter syndrome and all that stuff, right? Um But if you can move through that, but you just have to get used to it, it's okay. Um, And it's, you know, the Jim Carrey thing, there's still a chance, right? I mean, it's, it it is, right? Until they tell you to totally buzz off, 
they haven't said no yet. It's just no, not yet. It's, it's, you know, I, I heard many people say, and I don't know if you guys have experienced the same, um, that entrepreneurship is one of the most humbling experiences. Um, just because of what Jim is saying, that you're going to get a lot of no's before you get a yes, and you have to understand rejection is part of the game. It's not nothing personal, although although if you are an SC and, the, and DISC, then maybe. <laughs> it feels like it. I mean, I read, I, read the, the, I read the four agreements uh, early into my business that really helped me. I'd never heard of Don Miguel Ruiz. I'd never heard of the four agreements. And to this day, 20 years later, I still take things personally. I mean, I wish I could use one of those agreements 100% of the time, all day, every day, just for one dadgum 24-hour period of time. But it really, really helped me to start at least trying to frame it and trying my best to not take things personally. Um, and so that's a great book. If you have that challenge, like I did, and many of us do, the four agreements is a great place to start in my opinion. Yeah. And the other is to compare that to what we call the Valley of death of maybe, right. You know, the, the undecided, right. And there's a balance, right. I mean, people need time. There's, you know, there's a component unless you're a used car salesman and you got to sell some now, right. Or whatever. But I mean, in the end, the, the, the valley of indecision, whatever you want to call it, right. It's not a no yet, but yet there's no commitment. And you know, it's this low point and you get enough of those where you are counting and you are banking on a percentage of those and they never happen. And once you've had enough of those, you finally figured out, I'd rather have a no because at least I can move on, right? I can, I can go find the next maybe, right? Or yes, or whatever. I think, I think that's the next level from when you get that little bit thicker skin and you just get tired of being tired and you go, I remember that point. I just, I'd rather go, Hey, if I've done something wrong, let me, and then, and you know, most times it has nothing to do with you. There's nothing to do with your product. It's usually timing and they'll tell you, you know what? we'd love to, but the timing isn't right. Follow up with this in six months. And then you can, again, make peace with that, put them in your calendar, send them a thank you card, whatever it is, and keep that relationship going. As long as the relationship is maintained, Tony Robbins said, and long as the relationship is maintained, the one with the most conviction will always win the other over. I remembered that quote, right? And that helped me. It helped my soul because I had a lot of conviction, right? But I had, as long as the main relationship was maintained, because me being the A-type, hey, Kiko, go fly a kite, buddy. Well, that is not maintaining the relationship. You got to smile. You got to say, I totally understand. So this is the phrase I used. I totally understand. Uh, Bob, wouldn't you agree timing is everything? If you wouldn't be offended, would you mind if I penciled you in, you know, whatever the situation was, 90 days from now, 30 days from now, six months from now, and just kind of check in with you just to see how things are going. Maybe the timing will be better. If you let people off the hook like that, they're waiting, they're waiting. They know you have the hammer because they just told you, no, they're not dummies. And you let them off the hook and say, hey, I get it. I totally understand would you mind if I threw you forward in my calendar a few months and just kind of check back? They will be so relieved that you didn't 
leave ticked off, cuss them out, blah, put something bad on the internet about them that they'll say, sure. And then again, as long as the relationship is maintained, you got a shot and you put that in what we call, you know, my friend Andre hates this phrase, the pipeline, right? He said, you got to stop calling the pipeline. You got to call it the loading dock because you've had your pipelines been so full for so long. I think people think they're dying in there. Okay. Get it out of the pipe. You can't be pregnant forever. But so we started calling the loading dock. You got to have future prospects, right? But when you're in survival mode, you just, man, you just want and pray and wishing that, man, I thought that was going to be the one. Yeah. And that's the key, right? I mean, the, the, the faster you move through that, to the point where it's either a no or come back to me later, but you keep doing that, right? And you keep loading that funnel, right? Call it whatever you wish. That's just, it is what it is. Um, However, to your point, if you say, you know, he told me, no, I'm not talking to him ever again. One, how stupid, right? Really? Unless it's somebody you just don't want to talk to again. Right. But I mean, if it is somebody that, you know, they have a business and they had a need, and you just didn't fit the bill at that time. I'm telling you, personal experience, I think my record is four years from an initial conversation to someone saying, oh, and now it's time. It's a lot easier conversation the second time when they come and ask, right? It's like, and it's like, I remember what you told me, and it stuck with me, and blah, and let's go, right? And it's um, convicting, right? Because you're like, oh, it wasn't these other factors. It was really timing. I was just being impatient and greedy and not letting yes, that other person and obnoxious. Right. Because of, because yeah. of why, because I need that, you know, there's the reality. Cause I need the gotta, sale. That's right. right. Exactly. So yes. yeah, sorry to, sorry to dominate the conversation, but. I'm going to start wrapping this up um, just for the sake of kind of staying within the hour, but so let me let me uh, go and I, I was kind of writing a few thoughts and then you guys tell me what else should we add to this because it was a great episode, I have to say. So obviously have the talk with your spouse, know your zero, that's what Jim would always remind you, ikigai, you know your purpose, um, sales don't underestimate the importance of knowing how to sell and understanding the sales process, which eventually leads you to this other conversation about funnels and relationships. And as Jim is saying, maintain the relationship and be patient, uh, as, as Bob said too. Build a brand, um, understand what people think about you and, and, and try to capitalize on that. Um, learn how to accept rejection. Um, it, it, I think that... Jim said something, I put train your skin, basically, right? You have to kind of make it thicker gradually, so you have to train it. Um, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I wanna close with this one because that is something that, I, that Bob mentioned that I observe in Jim and in other entrepreneurs, which is they're always hungry for more learning. They wanna learn more about entrepreneurship. They're always informed. They will tell you what is the latest book they, they read. It's fascinating to me. And Bob, you mentioned this too, as a, as a, as a trait of people that are successful. So um, if, you know, I, I was recently um, involved in, in giving some advice more from a, from a life coaching perspective to one of my clients. 
But you, you see the same traits are people that are willing to consume information and learn more. So we were talking about Marcus Aurelius and, and things like that. You know, read books. They love it. So if you were going to recommend something to read, what would that be? Maybe one or two. And, and by the way, I know that you are you, no textbook, please. <laughs> yeah, nothing that you published and that you wrote for your class. Okay, we don't want to. <laughs> uh, totally off the wall. No, nothing that you can buy at the yeah, university bookstore. Yeah, it's hard to read on screen. What the did right, you say? The, the Wright Brothers by David McCullough. Oh, okay. The Wright I read Brothers. this over vacation this this year. I mean, I've got all this the standard books. I'll be uh, honestly, favorite book is The Go Giver. Um, yes, you know, as Jim mm. said, that's kind of I almost reference that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just a great book. Um, and it's a philosophy of how you do things. Um, but as an example, this I, I I love to read business books. That's all great. But I also love to read biographies of people that had, a, you know, these are the guys that invented, you know, modern flight, right? Oh, my gosh. Talk about, you know, a story of how they grew up, what they were exposed to, what they didn't have, how they did it, how their work ethic. I mean, these guys lived through, I mean, it was a bit of a hell, right, to even be at Kitty Hawk, you know, we have these mm. visions of what it looks like and it's all perfect. And, you know, now, you know, mosquitoes and snakes and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's just brutal, brutal what these guys did. And, you know, I always go, and this is what I tell our students at class is like, you think you have it hard? Give me a break, read this book and come back and tell, right? Um, and they started so with I, bicycles, right? Isn't that, isn't that right? Correct. With bicycle. bicycle. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, but I mean, just, how their father taught them, what they didn't tell them, what, you know, how they fought with each other and they, you know, had arguments and just the whole story was just fascinating. And especially even in a business context, but, mm. um, you know, read things outside that you just normally wouldn't. Right. Um, there's so many books, right. <laughs> it's like so many books and so little time. Well, we just want to give them a couple to start off and, uh, man, how grateful, how grateful am I that to have you on this podcast, man. I'm so thankful for your friendship and the, your leadership and, uh, you know, what you are literally helping to shape the next, um, the next wave of entrepreneurs, you know, and that's super exciting for me. And I'm sure that's what keeps you engaged in it as well as, um, you know, helping small business owners, man. So I really look up to you. I really appreciate uh, our friendship and I appreciate the time that you've shared with us today, Bob. Right back at you, man. Right back at you. Incredibly uh, happy to to get to know you, Bob. Um, we uh, we learn a lot from you. We didn't expect any less, but you just met our threshold of you know we're gonna meet a great guy, and of course Jim already knew it, but I learned about that today. So thanks for giving us your time. Um, we are gonna say goodbye to our audience, and uh, we are gonna come with also a very exciting. Uh, uh, guest uh, in yes. episode four. So for now, guys, try to fire your boss. I'll see, see you. Have a great night, guys. Thanks, guys. All right. <laughs>